This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Acts. And we're going to turn to Acts chapter 15. And we're going to read a few verses. So Acts chapter 15, reading from verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from, them among, from among them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Last week... Was, I think it was just last week or the week before, we uh, watched this Donald Trump and all of the world leaders come to France to celebrate D-Day. And it's, it's just wonderful sometimes to listen to the bravery and the stories of those that were on the beaches those day, that, at those times. How they landed and they fought their way up the beach for hours upon hours, fighting their way 
to make sometimes just maybe 100 feet or 200 feet with bombs, with bullets, with planes, with boats, firing all around. What a battle that must have been that day. What a fight that must have been that day. And the stories are harrowing to listen to those men now in old age telling their stories of what happened at that time. There's always going to be these wars in our day, in our age, while this world exists before the Lord comes back. But I want to draw your attention in Acts 15 to another battle. Because there's a battle going on here in Acts 15. I want to suggest to you tonight that Acts 15 is crucial to the Bible. It is crucial to Acts. If I was to ask you tonight, when you think about the Acts of the Apostles, what do you go to? You maybe think at the very beginning of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out. You maybe go into Acts chapter 3 and you see the man healed by Peter and John at the temple, receiving his strength, rising up and walking into the temple. Maybe you see the martyrdom of Stephen and his boldness in declaring the gospel. Maybe you see the, the Cornelius in chapter 9 and 10, how Paul witnessed to them and the birth of the Gentile church. Maybe it's from chapter 21 onwards where you see Paul going up to Jerusalem and he is attacked for the gospel. And for the next number of chapters right to the end, we see Paul going through such struggles, such stresses, going through the shipwreck and ending up in Rome. Acts is a, is a book that's it's not a slow burn book. It just keeps going. It's drama after drama after drama after drama. But I want to suggest to you that chapter 15 shouldn't be missed. It's part of the drama. And it is a crucial part of the drama. It's maybe not the first one you would go to. You think, Acts 15, that's just a bunch of leaders at a talking shop. Gary's used to talking shops. Well, not at the moment while Stormont's out. <laughs> just a talking shop coming to discuss some small point. But I want to say to you tonight that Acts 15 is crucial to our salvation. As we sit here tonight, without Acts 15, we possibly wouldn't be sitting here tonight. Why do I say that? Because what is at stake in Acts 15 is the gospel itself. The gospel of justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. The gospel is at stake. We know the phrase, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the mantra of the Christian gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's look at some of the, the, this chapter here. And the first thing that we come again is the attack against the gospel. We see it in chapter, in verses 1 and in verses 5. 
unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And in verse 5, it says, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. This very argument strikes right at the very heart. It says, unless you are circumcised, it is necessary. And the language, the strong language, that dogmatic language, we have to order them to keep the law of Moses. It strikes at the very heart. Let me sum it up like this. If these, Pharisees, these, these Jewish Christians, and they were Christians, and it shows you that this can happen within the church as well as attacks upon the church. What they're saying is, it is Christ plus. It is Christ and something else. It is Christ and the law. Because this is what circumcision stood for. The law. Salvation by the law of good works. It's Christ plus. And this is why it is so serious that we see Acts 15 as crucial to our salvation and the gospel. This is a battle of law versus grace. A battle of works v. faith. We walk by faith. We have the grace of God. But these men are saying we need the law. We need works. Why is it so serious? Why does Paul get into such a dissension and debate with them? Because Paul, up until chapter 15, from chapter, uh, halfway through chapter 8, has been the birth of the Gentile church. We see in chapter, the end of chapter 8, we see the Ethiopian eunuch, where Stephen talks to him, or Philip talks to him. And then we go into Cornelius in chapter 9. And then we see Paul and Silas sent out and go on their missionary journeys, spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. If these people are right, and it's Christ plus, then all of their salvation, all the work that the apostles had done, what Peter had done, what Paul had done, what Silas had done, what Barnabas had done, was all based on a false foundation because they preached Christ and Christ alone. A couple of years ago, we celebrated the 500 years of the Reformation. Luther nailed his 95 theses to the, to the, to the church door. If these people are right, then the Reformation was built upon a false premise. It was built upon Christ plus. How does that relate to us tonight? We're sitting here in church tonight saying that we're born again of the Spirit of God, saying that we're Christians, saying that we have heard the gospel and we have received Christ. If these people are right, then our salvation is built on a false premise. It's Christ plus. And that's why it's so serious in Acts 15 that this battle is fought. It caused dissension 
and debate. I had to remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee saved by grace. He was schooled in the law. He knew it inside out. And he recognized what was at stake here. Because after he was saved on the Damascus Road, he turned all his energies to fight for Christ alone. And he debated and he dissented with these and against these men. He says, you're wrong. You're wrong. He went to battle with them. But they were getting to war. It was causing trouble. This whole debate was causing the church to question its salvation and to question Christ alone. So what they said, let's go up to the leaders in Jerusalem. We need to go up. We need further advice. Paul was convinced, but for the sake of the church, they went up to debate and to discuss and to have a ruling. So there was the attack. What is the defense that comes up in Acts 15? How did they fight against it? Well, they went to the higher church authority and they drew upon two things. Two things are shown here to, to, to appeal to, to get at the truth. And there's two ways, and one was eyewitness testimony, and the second was the Word of God itself. Eyewitness testimony and the Word of God. First person that called upon after much more debate is Peter. And Peter was respected within the church. He was one of the founding apostles and his word carried weight. Peter's testimony, his apostolic testimony was going to set the scene because he was there. It says in verse 7, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my wife the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter's testimony is clear. It is direct. And it undermines the very attack where these men are saying Christ plus. Peter is showing that it is Christ alone. In verse 7 he says, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Should hear the word. This was God's choice to send Peter to the Gentiles. You'll read in chapter 9, you're familiar probably with the story of Cornelius. Paul sitting, waiting in dinner, and he goes into a trance and he sees the blanket coming down. And the Lord says, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter says, No, can't do that. I've been clean. But the Lord shows him it again and again and proves to him that what God calls holy. Don't call unclean. It was God's choice for Peter to go to Cornelius' house 
and to see the gospel go to the Gentiles. They were to hear the gospel and believe. It's important that we see the word like this. It's not put in this order just for us as a simple reading. They were to hear the word, to hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, he says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Just as he did to us. God looks at the heart. He's not looking for law. He's looking for a heart that's seeking after him in faith. And verse 9 tells us that God cleanses the heart and he bore witness to them. And he made no distinction between us and them. The sign of that witness is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And although Paul doesn't say it, or Peter doesn't say it in verses 7 to 9, notice the absence of circumcision. Notice the absence of any word that could be construed as a law. Notice anything that looks like work where we can earn our salvation. Peter's very clever. It's not there. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice that the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them and cleansed their hearts by faith. Not a work in sight. Not an appeal to the law in sight. God's choice. And God gives grace to who he will give grace. Peter has proved this. And then he he points out the danger. The danger to continue on with this attitude of Christ plus. In verses 10 and 11. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Thank you, Lord. Look at the way he frames the law. We weren't able to bear it ourselves. Now we're going to put a yoke upon the Gentiles? No. Because the history of the law is one of disaster, of keeping the law. The law was good. But the history of keeping the law, of earning salvation through the law, was a disaster. It was a disaster in Israel's history. We look at the law when it was given in Sinai. Within a matter of days, they're dancing around a calf, and they have broken God's law. We see Israel thrown out of the land. The prophets tell us in in 1 and 2 Kings and, and Chronicles and Samuel. We see Israel thrown out of the land because they haven't kept the law. The law cannot bring salvation. This is the argument here. This is Peter is holding up the argument saying the law does not bring salvation. 
Salvation comes by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Hallelujah. And he warns them to continue in this is to put God to the test. It's to put God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Basically what he's saying, you're going to end up fighting God. You're going to end up fighting God's grace. He saves us. He has saved us tonight. If you're born again of the Spirit in this room tonight, it's not of ourselves. It's not by good works. It's by Christ alone. Thank you, Lord. And anything other than that, Peter is saying, you're going to end up fighting God. This is why this battle is so crucial. Because there are those outside of the church think they can work their way to God. I try my best. God will take care of the rest. And they're sincere about it. And maybe we were sincere about it before we really came to the truth. But there are also those within the church that tell us we have to do to earn our salvation. But that's not what God's Word tells us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Second person, second people to give testimony is Barnabas and Paul. And just in one verse, and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Barnabas and Paul are just backing up what Peter said. He preached the gospel, and they believed, and God gave the Holy Spirit by grace alone. Not grace plus, not Christ plus. But we preached and they believed and they received the Holy Spirit. And God made no distinction. I love how definite Peter is. I love how definite Barnabas and Paul are. They know there's no law in it. And they're bold to proclaim it. What's the outcome? We have the attack. We have the defense. What's the outcome? And this is where the Word of God comes in. And it's good to have that personal testimony. But it has to be backed up by the Word of God. It has to be backed up by God's Word. If it's not, then personal testimony is just subjective. It's what we feel. It's how we think. God must be like this. And I love what, what, what James says. After this testimony, James gets up. He says, brothers, listen to me. Remember, he's talking to those in the church who are having this friction. He says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And he goes on and he, pre he speaks of Amos. But it's very important at the end of verse 14. 
We see what James says, to take from them a people for his name. And for the Jewish believers here, this wouldn't go unnoticed because they were students of the word of God. They were students of the law. And this would take them way back into the Old Testament. It would take them back to Deuteronomy 14 and 2. When God spoke to Israel and he said to them, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. What did James say? He has to take from them, the Gentiles, a people for his name. And I'm sure in that synagogue that day, or in the temple, wherever this was, their ears pricked up. Because they were hearing a promise that was made to Israel, that they would be God's chosen people for his name, and it being given to the Gentiles as well. This is where the word of God, from thousands of years before, God was fulfilling it in the temple on this day. He was calling a nation out of the Gentiles a people for his name. When Abraham received the covenant, God said to him, I'll make you a, 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 a nation. And he said he would make of him nations, a people. And this is what this all looks back to. This phrase, a people for his name, wouldn't go unnoticed. And then he quotes Amos. After this, I will return. I will rebuild the temple, the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Called by my name. God always fulfills his promises. And it is in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus. It's not Christ and. It's Christ alone. And the final outcome is, we haven't read it. Well, actually, James says, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. It's settled. It's settled. That day it is settled. James was the head and everyone accepted it. This is the judgment. Don't trouble them, these Gentiles who turn to God. They recognized there and then salvation is by Christ alone. Thank you, Lord. What did it turn out? What was the final thing that happened? They sent a letter to the believers. They sent a letter from the whole council. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders, verse 22, with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And then... In verse 27, we have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit 
Notice it's good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Notice the order there. They recognize first it's from Christ. It's from God alone. The Holy Spirit has endorsed this. And we agree. And we should agree on Christ alone. Holy Spirit, and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And here's the outcome. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. They rejoiced. What a rejoicing in the gospel. What if it was for all of those hundreds of years and came to this, this time here and they had come back and says, well, it's Christ, but we need you to keep this bit of the law. That wouldn't cause rejoicing because the history of keeping the law was one of failure. It was failure then and it's failure today to keep the law to earn salvation. It's Christ alone. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. The gospel is an encouragement to us. It's the gospel is that good news. It is our message that salvation comes through Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Acts 15 is crucial. I love the other stories. I started to look at this. It's central. It's absolutely central because it's the message of the church. There is no other message. Nothing but salvation through Christ alone. Let's pray. We're just going to invite the band as well. They're going to sing here. Father, we thank you for the gospel. It is our hope and our rejoicing. It is our boast all the day long. Because, Father, we had absolutely no hope. The law said, do, do, do. But we never could. But I want to thank you, Father, for salvation that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who did the law on our behalf, the one who kept every bit of it, every jot and every tittle, he kept it all. And our salvation is found in him and in him alone. Father, we thank you for your grace alone that comes through faith alone, that comes through Christ alone. Thank you, Lord, for your message that, that has changed our lives. And thank you, Lord, for your message that you want us to, to speak through us that lives can continue to be changed. 
Father, we give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk